this week, uh, as many of y'all know, each fall for the last several years, the Lord has afforded me an opportunity most years to take a trip up to Wyoming and uh, spend some time in the Grand Tetons and in Yellowstone. And as I was sitting out, uh, the Grand Tetons, by the way, my, my wife's favorite mountain range. So I'm sitting out around the campfire, and I can hear the Grovant River about 100 yards off to the east, and I can see in the moonlight the peaks of the Grand Tetons, and I am sitting under a canopy of stars that you can't see from here in the city. Now, you can see the Milky Way, and, and you can see... I, I used to get see more of those stars. I don't know what's happened in the last few years. I guess it's the atmosphere or something, or my eyes, one or the other. Uh, but I, I'm just overwhelmed once again by, by God's beauty, by His creation, by His handiwork. And the Lord moved me to, to read. I actually posted this online with a picture that I'd taken, a passage from Psalm 33. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all of the stars by the breath of His mouth. He gathered the water of the sea in a heap. He put the depths into the storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him because he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. That is the power of the God who we worship today. That is the power of the God who raised Jesus from the grave. That is the, the resurrection power, the creative power of the God who gave Bailey a new heart and, and as she put her trust in him. That is the power of Almighty God who will, who will move you and lead you and guide you and empower you and strengthen you as you put your faith and trust in him. When we, when we get a handle on that, Oh, man, does it help. Now, we're in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to get there in a minute. Uh, but here's where I'm headed with that. There, there's something about the mountains, the trees, even driving across the vast expanse of empty Wyoming. Most of Wyoming is not pretty unless you just love wide open spaces, which I actually love that too. Uh, and you'll hear me use these words, I love the mountains, I love camping. I, 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 my brother and I, and I'll, I'll use a little bit of this later in the sermon, we were standing in the middle of the Madison River with its 50 degrees, fishing while it was raining. And I got to thinking, when would I ever stand out in the middle of a 50-degree rain just to stand there? I wouldn't. But in the beauty and the, the glory and I just have a love for the outdoors like that. There, there's something special about it. Now, here's where it, the rubber meets the road. That's all a part of this world. That's all, that's all temporary. Those mountains are temporary. Those streams are temporary. Those fish are temporary. My life is very temporary, especially in comparison. Why do I love it so much? And is that okay? Today's text explicitly commands that we don't love the world. And so I want to get into that and ask the question, what, is, what does John mean? What does God's Word mean when he says we don't love the world? Because that actually, depending on how we understand the language there, can become very confusing. So in 1 John chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, whether they're in paper or on your screen or on your phone, uh, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Version. Uh, you can also see it up on the screen. That's just three verses today. 
And I'm going to see if I can make those verses last longer than the three verses that Nathan preached from last week. I, I hate it when the church is cheated by not getting enough good preaching of God's Word. So this is what John tells his congregation. Uh, this is, uh, let me preface this by saying out of all of 1 John, we've been in 1 John for several weeks now, this is the first explicit command that John gives. John's had some great teaching for us in chapter 1 and in the first part of chapter 2, but this is the first explicit comparative. It's an explicit command that tells us to do or not to do something. And he comes out right out and kind of punches his, his uh, readers in the face when he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of the Father remains forever. Uh, maybe a better translation, at least to understand this, is... Uh, Instead of saying, don't love the world, that sounds like almost a, a specific time. The, the Greek verb tense might have been an aorist if he meant don't love it. The idea is here, stop loving the world. Apparently, as he writes to his church, some of them were in love with the, the world more than they were in love with Jesus. And so he's, it's kind of a continuous action. Stop it. Stop putting all your investments. Stop putting all of your, your heart. Stop putting all of your time into the things of the world. And so there's three, th this is the primary point. The, the main verb of these three verses is stop loving the world or do not love the world. So there's, there's two words there that we've got to get a handle on if we're going to understand this correctly. And both of these words can be easily misunderstood or confused. The first one is world. What does he mean by the world? The word that he uses there is the Greek word cosmos. And that Greek word is used in the New Testament and, and in the Greek language of that day in various ways. But one of the ways it's used is to mean like the earth or the, the universe, you know, all that, that kind of creation. We, we, would, we would call that the world. Sometimes we talk about the world, we're talking about the earth, the land, the mountains, the trees, the, 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 the streams, the oceans, you know, the world, okay? He's got the whole world in his hands. Sometimes that word is used to, to refer to people. So when we refer to the world, we may be talking about uh, Christians or non-Christians, but it's the people of the world. There's a, another use, another way that we, that we use the word world that's coincides with the way that the Greeks would use the word com, uh, cosmos, and that is the things that are not of God. So you'll see Paul use it this way, and you see John use it this way. So it's a comparison between the things that are of the world, worldly things. We use it as an adjective, kind of that way more often than not. Worldly stuff as compared to godly stuff or spiritual stuff. And so that's the way that John is using the word here. He's not saying don't love people, okay? In fact, he's going to explicitly say that you got to love people uh, later on in 1 John, in, in 1 John chapter 4. He's already said it in 1 John chapter 1. He, he's not saying to not love what God has created, uh, the things that God has created for us. But what he's saying is we've got to be cautious 
And we cannot love the things of this world in a way that distracts us from God. And so the second word that we need to get a handle on here is what does he mean by the word love? Because that word gets used in all kinds of different ways too. I've already used it dozens of times in my opening. I love the mountains. I love, one of my favorite parts of being a pastor is I love baptism, baptism, being, a, being able to baptize someone. I, I love my wife. I love trout fishing now, fly fishing. I never fly fished until last year. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on it. I love hunting. I know some people don't understand that, but it's okay. I love nature. Uh, I love Reese's peanut butter cups, especially those that you get at, at Halloween that, you know, that are, they have a lot of peanut butter in them and, or, or at Easter that are shaped like the Easter egg. You know, uh, but that's not the, uh, those are different kinds of love. So here, John's using the, the word that we're familiar with. If you've been in Baptist churches long, you know, there's various types of words that get translated love. There's phileo love, which is a brotherly love. I love you like a brother. There's eros, which is, when, which is a sexual kind of love. Uh, then there's agape. And that's the word that John's using here. But even agape can take on different shades of meaning. And really what John is expressing here is that he's commanding us not to love, not to put so much investment and our time and our thinking in the things of this world that it interferes with our relationship with God. Let me back up to what I said just a little bit ago because I, I do love the outdoors. I, I love getting out in the woods. I love getting out there and, and just spending time camping or, or just sitting. Uh, but if, if, if my love for the outdoors grows to such an extent that it leads me away from God instead of to God, I've got a problem. If I'm spending all of my money and I'm investing my time and my energy and my thoughts, I can't wait until the next, I'm just thinking about the next time that I can go to the Tetons. I'm just thinking about the next time I can fish. And, and my thought and my time and my money are all being invested in the outdoors it's not that the outdoors are bad, but if that is going to take my attention away from the Lord, if I'm sitting here on a Sunday morning and I'm thinking about what fly I would like to use the next time I'm in Montana, I've got a problem. And, and that's not just about the outdoors. See, there's all kinds of things that distract us and lead us away from and interfere with our love of God. You may love racing. It's a racing or, or NASCAR to interfere with your, your view or, or your, your time spent with the Lord. You may, you may love quilting. I, I may step on some toes here with some of our ladies, but, but if, if, if that becomes something that distracts you or takes you away from, leads you away from your focus on Christ, then it's wrong. If you love it so much that it has distracted you, and you can go right on down the road. It doesn't matter what your passion is. If your passion for things of this world is so consuming that it consumes more of your time, money, and attention than Christ does, then your life's out of whack. I titled this sermon, Love the Right Things. And it's because I don't think that it's wrong to love God's creation. 
In fact, God has filled our lives with things that he has given us passions for and desires for. And we're going to get to that when we look at the next main point. What that word lust here in, in, the, in, in ne- the next verse is, is uh, really meaning. He's filled our lives with that. And if you were in a growth group today, you, you read that one of the most intense desires that God has placed inside of the human, that he placed inside of the hearts of Adam and Eve, was a desire to procreate. God himself created human sexuality. He made us male and female, and he created us that way, and he put a desire inside of us. But when that desire becomes so consuming that it consumes our mind, our money, our attention, our focus, and takes us away from God, we're out of line. However that fleshes itself out, however that happens. And so the point is that if you love the world or the things of this world, you cannot be in a right relationship with the Father. In fact, John goes on to say here, if anyone loves the world, so your your passions, your desires, your, your investment is so much in this world that you love the world, as John is saying, you cannot love the Father. You can't. They, they don't go together. Just like ketchup and ice cream. They don't go together, right? Plaid pants and a lime green plaid shirt don't go together. I know they might have in the 70s, but they just don't look good. There's things that, that, that are incompatible. And a love of God is incompatible with the consuming love of the world and the things of the world. God has blessed us with beauty and and desires and all sorts of beauty and, and glorious things in this world because he loves us as his children. But if we love his creation and we worship his creation instead of the creator, we're missing him. He's the creator. With his breath, he spoke it into existence. All of it. And we ought to stand in awe of that in a way that draws us into a relationship with him. Second, John then explores, and I've already touched on it, the impossibility of loving God and the world simultaneously. He says, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him, in him for everything in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. I want to work through those very quickly. Those three different things here. There's something very curious about John's list here that I'll note. I'm not going to go back and spend a lot of time there. But he lists the, uh, the desires of the flesh, or the, the, the CSB here, uh, uses the word lust of the flesh to translate that word. I, I step away from that just a little bit because in the original Greek, uh, that word lust doesn't carry some of the same connotations it does in our English language, our modern English language. A modern English language almost always connects the word lust with a sexual desire. And that's just not the bottom or, or the root meaning of the word. The, the word means a strong desire, something that our, that, that, that our flesh uh, who we are from the inside just really, really wants it, really desires it. And so it, it could be that, uh, you know, you, you see 
uh, a new gun. Man, I'm, I'm just talking to people today. Uh, I'm not picking on anybody. I won't name any names. But, but you just love guns so much that you see a new gun, you just have to have it. Whether you need it or not, you just have to have it. Right? Now, I'm, I'm, I've had all kinds of issues here in my life because there's, the Lord's just blessed me with all kinds of desires and things I like to do. When I used to, uh, my brother was a police officer for 30 years in Austin, and uh, years ago I used to ride out with him when he was on the streets. And uh, the first time I went to ride with him, I went and got me a big, nice mag light, a flashlight. And I got the biggest one I could find because police carry those big lights. And it's not just for seeing things, it's a good weapon. And I loved my flashlight. It was a 5D cell mag flashlight. And I bought that thing and I, I went riding out with him one time and uh, about two weeks later, one of my deacons and I were working on some stuff uh, in the tray, and we went up to Rise and Start of the hardware store and there hanging on the shelf was a six cell magnum flashlight. Man, I wanted so bad to buy that flashlight. It was, it was cool. It was, it was that much, it was bigger than the one I, I thought I had the biggest and best until I saw that one. And then I wanted it. I had to fight against my lust for that flashlight for a week or two. I wanted that flashlight so bad. Now, some of us, we do that with TVs or computers. Or some of you have already gone out and gotten the latest iPhone 14 Pro. Not because you needed it, but because it was the newest one, right? Uh, that's the struggle that we have, where we always feel like we have to have the, the, the latest and greatest. And so here, he begins by, by talking about the lust of the flesh. Now let me back up for just a second, because here he speaks of the lust of the flesh, the lust of our, or the lust of our eyes, or desires of our eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. Those three categories of temptation coincide with exactly how the serpent spoke to Eve in the garden. He spoke to her desire for something good to eat. He spoke to her about what she saw and the beauty of it. And he spoke to her about her pride. Oh, God doesn't want you to be as smart as him. Those three categories of sin are also, they also coincide with the way that Satan spoke to Jesus in the, after he'd spent 40 days in the desert when the enemy tempted Jesus. Well, there's something there. In the human heart, we tend to be led astray by the desires of the flesh that are not of God. Wow, that really came out strong. That was not me doing that. I mean, that sounded very ominous. Uh, we tend to be led astray by these desires of our flesh. And the word flesh there is not just our, our physical flesh, but it's a word that's used in Scripture oftentimes to speak of those things that are opposite of what God desires. And the best, one of the best examples of this is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Uh, if you want to go there, I did not prepare to put this up on the screen, but there's this comparison here that begins in Galatians 5, 19, and it runs down through verse 23. He says, the works of the flesh are obvious. 
Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I warn you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he compares that against another list. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So there you have a pretty good picture of this, uh, this comparison between the things of the flesh and the things of God. And when you pursue the things of this world, when you love the world and you love the things of this world, what comes out of your life are the things that we just saw over in Galatians chapter five. Sexual immorality, impurity, hatred, fussing, fighting, arguing, you're not getting along. All of those kind of things are a reflection of somebody who has invested their time, their focus, their energy in loving the things of this world, especially things of the flesh as opposed to the things of God. Because when you love the Spirit and the things of the Spirit, what's going to come out of your life is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So the, the things of the flesh are absolutely incompatible with the things of the Spirit. You can't love the things of the world, of the flesh, and love the things of Christ at the same time. And then he speaks of the desires of the eye. So you have this, the, the, these deep Desires are these drives that we have inside of us, uh, like from the growth group lesson, desires that God has placed there. They're godly desires. Let me throw out another one real quick before we move away from that. One of the desires of the flesh for most people is a, a relationship. Most people, God created in such a way, Paul says that there's a handful of people who God created to be single, okay? Paul says most people don't have that gift. Most people... God is called to marry and procreate, to, to, to build a family. That's just how God put us together. So he's put a desire inside of us, a godly desire for men <laughs> to pursue women in a relationship, and he's put a godly desire for women to pursue men in a relationship. That's what God has created inside of us. But as a young pastor, and I'm sure as a young adult pastor, sometimes we let that get out of whack. It, whether it be in high school when we first begin to come into to maturity and we first become young men and young women or we, we leave home, uh, oftentimes that becomes all-consuming. I've seen young adults who their only thing that they had on their mind is how they were going to get married, who they were going to marry. And that was the all-consuming passion. It wasn't a bad desire to get married, but when it becomes consuming that you... That's all you can think about. That's all you can focus on instead of we're, uh, of the Lord. What ends up happening is you end up making a mistake. You marry somebody you shouldn't. You marry the person that God, not that God had for you, you marry someone else. And, and because you, your idol, your desire has consumed you or you're pursuing a good desire, you're just pursuing it in the wrong way. And it, you've let that become so loud in your world that you're not hearing the voice of God. You know what I mean. It's, it's, it's cut off your relationship because that desire of the flesh has become all-consuming. Second, the desire of the eyes. This is really the, the, the they, this is where we see something, we want it. 
We see somebody else's car, we want their car. And we see somebody has a better house than us, we, we want that better house. We, we, uh, we see, uh, you know, something of beauty, and, and we just have a passion for it then. Uh, and it becomes a, a jealousy. It becomes a desire that, that I want whatever's new. I, I see it. It looks pretty. It's shiny. I have to have it. That is one of the, the number one tools of bass fishing, right? Bass like shiny things. And every time that you throw out something shiny, there, there's been times when I was fishing with dad on, uh, on Lake Travis down by Austin, he could put a hook, I would say on a soda pop, you know, the old soda pop things that come up, uh, that come completely off. Dad didn't drink soda pop. So he could put a hook on that and cast it out in the middle of, of uh, white bass that were hitting the top of the water chasing shad and you could catch them. You think that's the stupidest thing in the world. Why would they bite a metal flashy thing? Because it's flashy. It looks good. Vegas has made billions, if not trillions of dollars on the flashy. They can draw you in and get you to buy in or try to buy in or, or gamble on just about anything if the lights are bright enough and they're pretty enough and the, the, the desire is tempting enough. Solomon warns his uh, sons about that in, the, in Proverbs. He says that's exactly what uh, some women will do to you guys. But that goes both ways. They'll promise you something that is going to do nothing but hurt you. And if, if you have to have everything that you see, whether it's that new flashlight or that bigger TV or whatever it happens to be, and, and you have such a desire for the things of this world, you can't, that is incompatible with a love for God. And then third, he refers to the pride of life. And this is where... Uh, arrogance and pride become consuming, where your world revolves around you. My world revolves around me. I'm, I'm not concerned about who else is around me. I'm concerned about me. I'm going to tell my brother a little bit. He is in, he's now in charge of the, the deer lease that we hunt on, and there's one thing that he hates. He hates it because we, we have cameras out there and we see where some of the big deer are. He hates it when a big deer is identified and there's a race to it. Everybody thinks they want to get that one big deer. He hates that because it's selfish. It's selfish. I, it's, it's for me. I have to have it. No matter what. And, and what ends up happening, and we saw it uh, on our opening of archery season, Inevitably, somebody, when they make it all about themselves, they do something stupid that they know better to do, and the deer leaves. Especially a good, smart, older buck. You do something stupid enough, you will never see him again. At least not this year. And that's already happened. Because of this, this kind of issue, this, it's got to be about me. i got to have it my way. That'll destroy a marriage. If you come into a marriage and it's all about you and you have to have it your way, it'll destroy your relationship in a marriage. It'll destroy your friendships. It'll destroy your business. It, it, it will destroy every relationship in your life if you are so consumed of having it your way 
that, that you're not thinking about those people around you and caring for and providing for and, and, and opening your heart to see how it impacts or affects them. This, this arrogance and this pride that, that I, I want it and I want it to be about me and, and I want to be in charge, that is incompatible with loving God. It's incompatible with a relationship with God. And so when he speaks of loving the world and the things of the world, you cannot have that intense desire and love for the world where you focus everything in the, on, on, on the world or one aspect of it, whatever it is your passion is. Some of us have multiple passions. Some of us, it's singular. I mean, we, we just love doing this one thing. But if you're so focused on that, that it's taking you away from Christ, there needs to be a check engine light come on in your life and you need to examine your heart. I'll be honest, as I was working through this message over the last few days, and actually I looked over the text while I was in, in Wyoming and in Montana, it, it, was, it challenged me. Because I'm, I'm standing in the middle of the Madison River, fishing for rainbow trout, just loving the beauty. Uh, the, the fall colors are around me. Uh, mountains around me. You hear the rush of the water. I'm standing in waders out in the middle of the water and I'm, I'm fishing for these trout. And a, a rain shower begins to come in. And so I'm standing out in the middle of the Madison River in 50 degree weather while it's raining, fishing for trout and loving it. And I had to ask myself the question, would I stand out in a park and worship Jesus in 50 degree weather in the rain because I love him so much. Wow, that bites, doesn't it? Would I complain at church about the temperature not being right, but sit out at a football game when it's freezing and raining and cheer on my team? Or a soccer game or baseball game? Do I become so consumed by some of these passions in my life, or whether it be fishing or hunting or, or outdoors or, or the opera or concerts, where I'm so distracted and I'm, I'm so consumed by those things that they take, they take my finances, my time, and my attention away to such an extent that I'm missing God, that I can't focus on my relationship with Him, that I can't focus on worship because I'm so caught up in those things? Now, as that check engine light comes on in my life, it causes me to ask some questions and make sure that I'm, I'm in the right place. For me, one of the things that, that is true is as I stand below the Grand Tetons, I, can, I stand in awe of God and worship. And so the things of this world, the desires and the passions that God's given us can lead us to him or they can just take us from him. But when our love for the world becomes so consuming that we miss God, we cannot love him and the world at the same time. Lastly, when you come to the last verse, there's an incongruity of a love for the world and love for Christ because the things of this world are temporary and the things of God are eternal. That's, that's the bottom line truth. You ain't going to be here long. And if you, if you read the rest of Psalm 90 that we sang a good bit of Psalm 90 a little bit ago. In fact, it was in the song. Our lives are temporary. Our lives are short. In fact, I'd make four quick points here. 
That first is, is just right up front. This world's passing away. This world will not be here forever. None of it. None of it. Second Peter chapter 3 says that there's coming a time when God who created this world is going to let go of it, and it is going to dissolve with fervent heat, and it will be utterly destroyed. In fact, Peter describes it as, as the earth and all that's in it and the heavens and all that's around it. God's going to create a new one. That day's coming when this world, everything that you see in it, your physical body, your car, your house, those mountains that seem to be so eternal and so long-lasting, the oceans and the depths of the sea, it'll all be gone. It'll pass away. Now, I don't know when it's going to happen. No one does. Jesus said when he was on earth, he didn't even know. Only the Father knew. So if you find one of these preachers out there starts telling you they know when it's going to happen, run. Because he's lying. You cannot know. There's some signs. There's some warning signs. But be cautious with those because there's been wars from the beginning. There's been volcanoes for all of history of this earth. Every time a hurricane comes, it doesn't mean that that's the end of the world, okay? Just because the president says that Armageddon is around the corner does not mean it's true. So I'd be cautious with the prognosticators. But what I would want you to understand is that it is coming to an end this world and everything in it. And if it doesn't come as a whole, it's coming for you and for me, right? I might not make it until Jesus comes back and the world's gone. One of these days, I'm going to stand before the Lord. And Scripture tells us on the scale of eternity, my life is like a vapor. The older I get, the more I understand that. My brother yesterday, I was getting, we were packing up, I was getting ready to leave, and we left last Sunday night, drove through the night, went up to, to Grand Teton, spent a day there, went up into the hills and went fishing, spent, had a great time together. While I was up there, I actually took a couple days to do some work and got my sermon schedule planned out for next week, so I extended my trip a little bit, came back. Now, he, he got to fish one whole day while I was writing sermon stuff. Uh, come back, we go out to the Deer Lease, and my brother says, my goodness, We've only been gone two days. <laughs> I said, no, we haven't. We're gone almost two weeks. And he said, time flies. And I said, yes, it does. That's why we got to be ready to meet Jesus. <laughs> time flies. This world is short, and the older I get, the faster it seems to spin. You know, when I was a kid, it took forever for Christmas morning to come around. I didn't think Christmas would ever get here. I couldn't wait for Christmas. And then my birthday. Now Christmas comes every month. I mean, it just keeps coming. You, you realize that you only have about, what, 10 or 12 Saturdays to shop before Christmas gets here? Maybe not that many. It's right around the corner. Time is short, and this world's passing away. John puts it this way in the text. He says, the world with all its desires or its lust is passing away. The only, but the, the one who does the will of the Father remains forever. The things of God and his kingdom remain forever. Those who trust God, those who are willing to do his will and follow him, those who love him instead of the things of this world last forever. If you want to have everlasting eternal life, put your focus on loving God and the things of this world, other than the things of this world, Love him. 
Invest your time in him. Invest your resources in him. Invest your attention in him. You know, that's one of the reasons that Jesus said that wherever your money is, that's where your heart is. Because when you invest your time, resources, and thought into something, that's where your heart goes. Your heart tends to follow that. If, if, if I have a, every once in a while I dabble in the stock market. There, there's companies I have never cared about in my life until I invest a little bit of money in the company. Now all of a sudden I care about how they're doing. I, I never heard of Western Petroleum until I made a decision to put a little bit of money and now I care about what's going on with Western Petroleum. You get what I mean? Where, you're, where we put our time, our attention, our money, our resources, that's where our focus is, that's where our heart goes. And so be careful. Because if you put more of your, your time, your focus, and your resources in, in anything in this world than you do in the Father and the things of his kingdom, you'll be drawn to love the world and not to love him. Do not love the things of this world. They're temporary. They're, f- they're f- fading. They will be gone before you know it. All of it. The things of God are eternal. I've stood before the grave of many, many people as I did memorial services and funerals and burials. I've never heard anybody say, man, I wish I had more money to spend. Man, I wish I had more stuff. I've sat down with a lot of people in the hospital not long before they passed away. I've never had anybody worry or, or be upset because they didn't have enough stuff to take with them because it ain't going with them. The things of God and, and the relationships that God has given you are eternal. You're going to live forever. People are going to live forever. You get to choose when you hear the gospel, you get to choose whether you're going to live forever with the Lord or you're going to live forever separated from him. And if you decide, decide that you've fallen in love with the things of this world, so be it. Enjoy them while they last. But if you decide that you love the Lord and the things of God, pursue him. Enjoy him as long as he lasts. It'll be a whole lot longer. If you have never, right now, as you examine your own heart, this is twofold because some of us as Christians, we, we need to re-examine where our love is. We need to re-examine where our heart is is focused. And if you're, if, if there's something in your life, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be something really, it could be your family, it could be your kids. I've seen people that were so overly invested in their, in their children that when their children left home, it destroyed their marriage. <clears throat> they had not put Christ first in their marriage and, and learned to love the, in balance, love Christ, love their spouse, love their children. They so loved their children that once their children were gone, their marriage is all because there was nothing else there to hold them together. It doesn't matter what it is. There's a lot of good things that you can love that you get it out of balance and, and instead of loving Christ and loving the things of God, you're, you're, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. And so allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Is there something in my life that is so consuming me right now that I need it dealt with? That I need to, Lord, I need you to bring that back into balance. If you've never done what Bailey did, and, and made the decision to put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for your eternal life. 
I plead with you, don't allow the things of this world, the flashy things, exciting things of this world to distract you from Christ. It's bait. There's a hook in it. It'll destroy your life and it'll destroy your soul. Turn away from the things of this world and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I want to do things your way. If you've never done that, I'd love to talk to you. But if you're online, reach out uh, to us online through our email or through that little next steps button. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.